Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, I'm here with brothers Macaroo and Amos. This is the African Liberation Media. Today's date is September 21st, 6261. I'll be very brief because we have some poignant messages to disseminate to the public from the illustrious brother Amos Wilson. This quote comes from brother Neely Fuller. Therefore, as a victim of racism and as one who is both subject to and participate participant in the overall support of injustice, I intend to use what knowledge and understanding that has been given to help develop the correct procedures for eliminating racism and producing justice. The African Liberation Media is committed to that concept. Macro, go ahead, brother, with your most, uh, a most profound concept espoused by Brother Amos. A baby for Hodier, African family. Appreciate the opportunity for being able to disseminate some information from the perspective of the liberation and empowerment of African people. And uh, with the uh, passing on September the 18th of Supreme Court, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was given the, the nickname the notorious RBG, for some reason, don't know exactly why that that came about, but a lot of people are it's created a firestorm in the political arena because the Republicans are threatening or say that they will definitely nominate a replacement. And in 2016, when Obama nominated a replacement. Uh, I think it might have been for Scalia. The Republicans blocked it. They said, no way. You, it's, not, it's not going to happen. You know, they had a majority, I think, in the Senate at the time. But a lot of our, a lot of our people, you know, have, I, I think, a, a false of hope in, in various institutions, which we do not control. We have the capacity to influence if we had a, uh, a mass-based struggle, uh, you know, that was serious, but certainly, certainly we can't, we can't uh, control. One of, one of the things that, that we have to understand is in terms of how this country operates, and we can't say that it's not important because uh, if we look at the history, you can see that Supreme Court decisions are critically important. They do affect our lives. We can't just, you know, stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and say, well, it doesn't affect us because uh, the Dred Scott decision, which was a heroic effort by Dred and Harriet Scott, two enslaved Africans who sued in the courts for their freedom, uh, the decision uh, by the Chief Justice at the time, Roger B. Taney, uh, declared that Black people have no rights which white people are bound to respect. But more importantly, 
He overturned a series of laws that had been put in place, the Missouri Compromise, the Kansas-Nebraska uh, Act, uh, Compromise of 1850, some others, when he said that black people were property, and if a white man wanted to take his property anywhere, anywhere in the United States, then he was free to do so. And the, 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 the lawsuit by Dredd and Harriet Scott uh, Dred Scott, being born in Southampton, uh, Virginia, uh, very close to the same time that the Honorable Nat Turner was born, the the lawsuit said that uh, the person who uh, was enslaving them had taken them into states where uh, chattel slavery was illegal, into Illinois and into Wisconsin, and they sued on the basis of that, and they actually won. Uh, uh, at the appellate level, and then the owners, uh, uh, you know, counter uh, sued and, and, and took it to the Supreme Court, and then we got the decision. So these decisions are important because the uh, Tawny decision certainly was a major factor in bringing about the Civil War. So we, we just can't we can't ignore them. But what we what we have to understand is that there's a significant difference between the rule of law and justice. Laws can be just, they can be unjust. And for us in this country, most often they have been unjust, or even when they are on the books, they are not enforced in the, in the context of justice. They are, they are enforced within the context of power. What the rule of law actually says is that those who have power make rules or make laws. That's that's what it's really all about. And and we have seen how the how how the court has switched back and forth. You know, Howard Zinn deals with this on in on his article on uh, on on the Supreme Court, how how these laws change. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Amos Wilson points out uh, in this book, The Falsification of African Consciousness uh, by our brilliant uh, esteemed ancestor. This is what uh, Dr. Wilson says. Laws are no stronger than those who enforce them. President Rutherford B. Hayes taught us that lesson quite early. The day that the federal government decided not to enforce the Reconstruction laws, the so-called freedom of black people came to an end. Laws were on the books, but who cared? The Supreme Court reneged in the 1870s, and we were almost back where we started. The Supreme Court can and does change its mind. It can rule one way at one point and reverse its ruling at another. Where does that leave us? We see it happening to us all the time. Ultimately, means that we can only protect our rights and interests as a people, not through written laws by other people and laws enforced by other people, but through the power to prevent other people from having their way with us. The emphasis then should be on the development of true power, military, economic, and otherwise, that is our ultimate salvation. And, you know, even though, uh, you know, Howard Zinn is not a person of African descent, but uh, he is a scholar who has, uh, you know, he influenced a lot of the uh, young radicals of the 1960s. He was a professor at How at uh, not Howard, at Spelman College. I, I read his book, The New Abolitionists, about the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. It, it had a profound uh, in influence on me, and, and Zen is saying basically the same thing in his article 
uh, that that Dr. Wilson is saying. So that's, you know, we need to keep this in mind when people are, you know, all stressed out and, you know, uh, acting like they're about to uh, collapse on the pavement because, you know, this person has uh, ha- has passed away. Actually, to be perfectly honest with you, if she really cared, she had total control of the situation herself. She could have, she could have resigned. Uh, she was appointed in 1993 by a sick Willie. Uh, this was years after serving as an, uh, at the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. She was appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, she has been battling uh, cancer for 21 years, uh, very, you know, several forms of cancer. In 2015, she was 82 years old. Obama was president. So you would think that some of the people who were really concerned about the potential for who the next president might be, given the history of white backlashes in this country, you would think that somebody would have said, uh, Justice Ginsburg, why don't you resign so that Obama can report your replacement? She chose not to do that. And, you know, I hear people saying, well, man, if she would just lived for two or three more months. No, you had a chance to control the situation you chose not to. That doesn't have anything to do with us. I'm just pointing that out there because, I, you know, I hear people making these arguments and a lot of our people are all, you know, been out of shape about this. Our position has to be the position that Amos Wilson took. We have to understand the rule of law has nothing to do about justice. It has nothing to do with justice. Uh, as Jagger Hoover said, you know, justice is incremental to law and order. Doesn't mean doesn't have anything to do with it all. We have to have the power, the capacity to neutralize the ability of our enemies to impose their will on us. Go ahead, brothers. Yeah, Brother Amos Wilson said we have a tendency to abjure power and to seek glory or to pursue non-essential kinds of things, perhaps because we have been the victims of uh, the misuse of power. You know, even Dr. King talked about the necessity of power. Uh, the rift he had, well, I wouldn't call it a rift. He had obviously constructive dialogue with Dr. Teray. He said, well, if we don't have actual power, well, then all we have is a slogan. You know, suffice it to say, change does not occur, going back to Wilson, on the basis of moral suasion, but on the prerequisite of power. Going back to King, love without power is weak, anemic. Power without love is callous. The brother synthesized the concepts of love and power, which could produce justice, or at least potentially, or the um, concept of fair dealing. Well, you know, I think Kwame Ture was way ahead of Doc at that point, uh, because, you know, they they had a chance to establish some political power had the Mississippi Freedom Democrat Party chose to remain independent rather than merging into the uh, you know, white supremacist uh, Democrat Party, which is, is part of the corrupt two-party system. And, of course, you know, uh, Brother Kwame went into Lowndes County, and uh, after, the, after the Freedom Democrats decided to compromise, uh, you know, sacrifice all of the hard work they had done and merge into the Democrat Party, which they absolutely had no need to do that. 
uh, in the Mississippi Delta, where they were the majority of the population, mm-hmm. uh, Kwame, Kwame went into the Black Belt of Alabama in the Lowndes County and then organized the Lowndes County Freedom Organization. So I think he was a he was ahead of Doc. Doc got got to that point, uh, you know. But but Kwame was a, was just a bit ahead of him, uh, I'd say in ni- in 1964 because he, you know, after the experience at the 64 Democratic Convention where they refused to seat the Freedom Democrats. You know, he said, look, man, this we got we got to have it. If we're going to deal in the arena of politics, which we understand is only one aspect of power, electoral politics. And it's the most difficult, I think, uh, aspect of politics to control because the way American politics functions, you know, unless you're in an environment, say, like Jackson, Mississippi, where you're 80 percent of the population and whatnot. You know, you can you can control the political reins of government without making any compromises. The problem has been uh, the the politics, you know, even even in those areas has not uh, had an accompanying uh, economic development. So, you know, that's why we say, you know, you have to have a holistic approach to power, education, economics, culture, communication and politics. Politics is only one aspect of it. Unfortunately, too many of us uh, rely own that as you know our savior as uh, dr wilson was saying go ahead brothers yeah i remember when i was in elementary school and over the summer i think over the summer of my second grade year they would tell the students whose class you would be in for third grade and i remember it was the choice of these two teachers and one teacher was the teacher that everybody in the class or everybody in the school considered to be one of the coolest teachers, the easiest teachers as far as the workload and the fun that you would have in class. Everybody wanted to be in that class. So at this point in time, I wasn't thinking about, you know, the education aspect of it. I was thinking about an easy ride. <laughs> and I remember I got into a class and I mean, it was a good experience. But I also remember that by the time I got to the fourth and fifth grade, those habits started to catch up to me. And I had to really start to focus. I started to get in trouble. I had to start to focus and take my own initiative in the learning process for me to get ready to go to middle school. And I say that because we often look at situations like this particular situation with uh, what's the name again? Ruth Ruth uh, Ruth Bader Ruth, Ruth Bader, Ginsburg. Bader Ginsburg. I never heard of Ruth Bader Ginsburg a day in my life until she died just a few days ago. <laughs> and honestly, I don't care about her existence because. My focus is to take initiative into gaining power, to put this power into my people's hands. I'm not looking for a free ride. I'm not looking for an easy way out. I'm not looking for somebody that we may think may be an easier person on us as far as passing these laws, like you just stated. These laws do not necessarily mean that you're going to have any justice and laws can be changed at any time. Anytime they change the law in one direction, they can be changed back uh, in another direction as soon as they feel like they need to do that. Mm-hmm. So 
my advice to to our people is to keep your mind and your focus on improving your position from a power dynamic standpoint <laughs> gaining leverage over this system versus looking for a complementary partner in the system right to 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 your point brother uh Dr. Fuller talks about uh, the classification of power. Superior power, second only to all power, it is the power exercised by those people who have been classified as white supremacists. I mean, the real white supremacists, Wall Street, Lockheed Martin, uh, the Pentagon, industrial uh, system, uh, and, and so forth. Definition, the ability to cause non-white people to think, speak, and act accordingly to the will of the white supremacists. Dictates and request of white supremacists. The power of the white supremacists to dominate non-white people of the known universe is proof of the superior power of white supremacists. Okay, and then... We fall in the category of inferior power. That's what uh, your brothers were alluding to. The lack of will and or the lack of ability of non-white people to do anything of significance without the direct and or indirect uh, force, approval, or voluntary support of white supremacies. Mm. And that, 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 that's where we are. See, symbol over substance in many instances. Yeah, and fully use the term non-white people, but clearly they were talking about people of African descent because, you know, once again, we can't, you know, this 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 people of color, uh, you know, thing, you know, is another thing that that sometimes serves as an, as an impediment to us because, you know, we have to deal with we have to deal with things based on our history and our history particularly here in these United States, there, there's nothing else to compare to it. And not even the history of the indigenous people because they fought courageously and were victims of genocide. Okay, so if, if, you, don't, if you don't deal with, with your specific history, the very specific things that have happened to you in your history, then it's like trying to work an equation and you put Z where you should have X. Your answer is going to be wrong. So we, we have to deal specifically with our history. And a lot of times when people are reading nearly full of, they see the word non-white, non-white, non-white. And some people may translate, translate that to say, well, oh, he's talking about all people of color. And in some instances they may be, but it certainly doesn't apply because, you know, the Chinese have power. You know, they are classified as people of color, but they they have power. OK, you don't see the Europeans running up in there. I mean, they dominated China for a long time, you know, until the uh, China, the Chinese Revolution. But, you know, that that that's one thing that we have to be clear when when Fuller uses that word, you know, when when we quote that, we're talking about people of African descent. I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, that's an excellent point, brother. 
Now, it, and, and sadly, another uh, classification Fuller talks about is immediate power. Uh, the power that a person has as an individual that enables he or she to act immediately and effectively without the consent of other people. You know, but the thing of it is, man, you know, in too many instances, you know, our attacks on people of no significance. Reginald Denny in 1992 and people of that ilk, uh, you know, vis-a-vis uh, selected uh, targets, you know, who clearly uh, uphold systems, are critical to the systems that oppress and dominate us. Okay, brother. All right, what's what's the next topic? Well, you know, while we uh, are talking about power and style and substance, uh, you know, once again, we are talking about uh, the refinement, the improvement of the methods that help make the practice of racism more efficient and more acceptable to the victim. Of course, we uh, quoted Gunnar Maradol and a previous uh, show, we talked about the refinement of white supremacy means to impose methods of maintaining this global system that white supremacy uh, strives to decrease the use of direct violence. This is the ideal stage of racial subjugation, speaking and acting in a manner that makes the practice of white supremacy more acceptable to the victims and more appealing the refinement stage includes thought, speech, action, uh, conduct, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're talking about uh, the neocolonial phase of white supremacy, uh, just for clarification, as well as uh, an addendum of these various classifications of, uh, in stages, I should say, of white supremacy. Right. And and what what happens is the, the, the way Fuller and Wilson explain it is that white supremacy has four phases, establishment, maintenance, expansion and refinement. And at in the refinement stage, it's after a it has gone through the three phases, the, 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 the previous three phases. For example, chattel slavery is established, is maintained, is expanded to its maximum capacity. And then uh, it collapses you know, under un, under pressure uh, from various forces for various reasons. And it appears at that point that progress has been made and that we have overcome. And it is a fact that that particular structure of white supremacy has been torn down. But the foundation of white supremacy, which is the mass-based philosophy... That, that, that guides their culturally structured thought that uh, Dr. Marimba Ani uh, laid out for us in her uh, massive, uh, brilliant uh, scholarship in the book Urugu, the mass-based philosophy of white supremacy and racial capitalism are the foundation of white supremacy. So the foundation remains intact and upon that foundation, they can refine, re-engineer, retool, recalibrate, and develop 
a new structure. So, you know, it's sort of like, uh, say you got a rat-infested or roach-infested house, and you, you, you tear the house down, and you build another house, and you're still, <laughs> you're still infested by rats and roaches. This is this this is basically this is basically you know the the, the 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 concept you build it on you build it on the same foundation, so the foundation itself has to be broken apart, you know. So if if you intend to uh, to to build a structure that's based on justice, but what we have to understand is this. Dr. King said, "True peace is not merely the absence of tension. True peace is the presence of justice." Now, our people in the Nile Valley, beginning with Narma, in my opinion, the most important person uh, in the entire history of African people, had long periods of peace because they had power. They had periodic disruptions or intermediate periods or periods of time when, uh, as Brother Amos has taught us, a, a particular leader uh, like Pepe or someone may stay in power too long and the, the, the conditions deteriorate instead of continuing to advance. But once again, our people are able to overcome those and reestablish power, which enable them to live in peace. So, you know, for the majority of, of, of the period of time when the, uh, the uh, civilization of ancient Kemet stood, our people enjoyed peace we lived in peace we were free proud productive prosperous and powerful people we lived in peace i mean the greeting words in kemet uh that you know, i learned when i you know from jake carruthers or dr clark or somebody was yim hotel come in peace come in peace come in peace yim hotel and so you know this th this is where we have to get to but we have to understand is that we think that we can live in peace without power that just does, it, that's not the way the world works it will never work that way and there there can be no uh, power for african people unless it's global based on the african continent based on having control based on controlling the land and resources on the african continent that african people will never ever live in peace that's just the way the world works. We can't be an isolated entity like uh, Brother Quasi Fisher talked about the other week, uh, you know, by thinking that, you know, we can establish something just here in the United States, isolated from Africa. It's not going to happen. It's just not, it's not going to happen. That doesn't mean that you stop struggling for power here. You know, just like the, the people are trying to do down in Wilkinson uh, County, Georgia, you know, with the purchase of property to build a community. They have to build a community. They have to develop the community. They have to be able to protect the community. And so, you know, you can have you can have those types of things, but you know, that's that's what we have to try to understand. You know, if we if we want justice, we have to have power. We no one no one without power can have any semblance of peace on this planet as long as Europeans have power brother almost take on that i know uh malcolm and brother kwame to uh they saw the extreme significance in control of the resources on the african continent 
Now, if you can, brother, talk about uh, a general or specific approach into us to us uh, being able to gain those resources and establish Africa the continent as a power base, which can pay dividends for Africans throughout the diaspora the world over. Well, one of the first things that we have to do is we have to become a lot more intelligent. And that intelligence has to lead to us breaking down these barriers that we have and these egos that we have of everybody wanting to be the man and receive the glory. And once we do that, then we can easily devise plans to push the agendas that we want. There should be no reason that multiple African people cannot get on the same page. With Even with all the technology that we have right now, we should be able to easily communicate and say this is the agenda we're going to push for our people this year in 2020. And then once that agenda is set forth, then it should start trickling down into our local communities from the people who are the leaders in our communities. It's no different than you see the corporations when they want to get on board with the agenda like Black Lives Matter. A lot of these corporations have board meetings or even the leaders from these corporations have meetings with other leaders from other corporations and they decide that this is the best format and the best platform that they want to push. So then that agenda gets pushed out. What we do is we have individuals who will put forth an agenda and then other people will attack it without actually working with that individual and understanding why. Now, I'm not saying that we should push everything, but what I am saying is that we should ha we should be able to come to an intelligent common denominator for what we want to achieve within this year. And if you do that for every year, then every year you're making progress. But we have to we have to get out of our old methods. Um, and that intelligence stems from us knowing how to discern right information from wrong information. Like you talked about uh, Brother Quasi's uh, interview that he did talking about ADOS. And I read a comment on the video that was posted on YouTube where I think uh, uh, somebody said that, you know, Africans can't pursue their own reparations uh, separately. There's no such thing as there's no such case as international reparations. Well, the last time I checked, it was a case of international reparations when the United States paid Japan for when they bombed them. It was a case of international reparations where the Haitians had to pay the French billions of dollars for the Haitian Revolution. This is what I mean by intelligently being able to understand how to discern real information from fictional information. We need to stop pushing emotions and really intelligently speak to the problems that our people are having and intelligently solve these problems. Right. Brother Amos always said emotion should feed the intellect, not dominate it. Right. In other, in other words, you have emotions to make moral decisions. This is right and this is wrong. Uh, Brother Macaru talks about uh, the incessant need for balance. You know, we tilt one way to the exclusion of the other. I mean, you know, there's a lot being said here. Sister Ani talked about uh, the importance of culture. I like her simple 
definition, uh, she she writes, culture makes cooperation natural. But then it would also re- take a uh, a rejection of European values, you know, to arrive at these ultimate ends. You know, no instrument of power is effective as taking a man to the mountaintop and showing him the kingdom below. Mm. And I remember Dr. Ture was uh, one of his uh, poignant statements as, you know, it, I used to think it was harsh. I no longer do. You know, he said at least Judas had the decency to kill himself. You know, I got <laughs> Negroes running around collecting 30 pieces of silver. You know, so uh, I am convinced, you know, regardless as to the difficulties that uh, Stokely, Martin, Malcolm may have had, uh, they could not be corrupted monetarily. Right. You know, exactly. just, I, I'm, I'm certain of that. You know, I, I can't say that about too many people today. Well, man. Uh, go, go ahead. Uh, or, or the the, the uh, cult of celebrity, how we call it, the dictatorship of celebrity, you know, that Malcolm uh, willed against, you know, these are not leaders. These are trumpet players, clowns, <laughs> comedians. You know, I mean, <laughs> we are up against a monstrosity in terms of the level and the scope of diversions mm-hmm. that are out there that keep us divided and moving from that and moving in, in, in that direction that you uh, articulated, uh, Brother Amos. Yeah, I, I think um, some of the biggest factors in our community, it comes out of emotion, it comes out of fear, and it comes out of a lack of experience. And experience experience is not always just about how many years you've done something. What I mean by experience is, in order for people to want to achieve power, freedom, or sovereignty, there has to be some level of experience in your life in knowing what that feels like. The people who know what that feels like or, or know what that um, means to them, they don't want to live under oppression. They don't want to be oppressed. The people who have no idea of what having power or what having sovereignty or what having some sense of freedom is, then they will easily just continue to survive and settle for whatever advantages they think that the oppressor is allowing them to have. It's just like, um, it's just like if you take somebody who is constantly on championship teams or playoff teams every year and you put them on the bottom of the barrel team within whatever sports league they play in, that person is going to be very frustrated because they're not used to losing. Mm-hmm. You see somebody in the NBA, like for instance, Andre Iguodala played for the Golden State Warriors and won three championships with the Golden State Warriors and they got traded to Memphis. And he never played in Memphis. He refused to step on the court in Memphis until they traded him to a better situation. And to somebody who has experienced some level of power and sovereignty and freedom, you can't force that person to be a slave. They're going to want to force their way out of that situation. And this is where that education process comes into play in teaching people the difference between just surviving and living under an oppressive state and thinking that because just because you have an a individual accomplishment of success, whether it be through money, fame, fortune, or whatever, that that does not uh, signify any type of significant power 
in your community. Once people start to realize these things, especially from a young age, then they'll begin to grow with the ultimate goal of achieving that. And they won't settle for just surviving or just taking a handout from somebody, like hoping that Biden gets elected, hoping that right. the Democrats can hold off Trump from appointing another Supreme Court justice. You know, brother, that's part of the educational component uh, as it relates to the revolution of the mind. You know, the internal transformation that has to take place but also to your point, and a seventh grader can prove it. You know, you place a frog in warm water and you increase the heat. The frog becomes innovated, in fact, relaxed. He will turn over with his stomach pointing upward until he dies. Hmm. You hmm. know, and 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 <laughs> that describes our situation in many instances. I mean, I watch these animal show, man, the individualism and the uh, the tragedy of the wildebeest mm. trying to cross the Serengeti Plains one at a time being picked off by crocodiles. Uh, in, in a real sense, it's tantamount to the type of individual egotism which, uh, you know, prevents us from massing our strength. Brother Amos Wilson, I go back to them. You know, he's, he said uh, very poignantly, he said, we will die with a tremendous amount of knowledge and skills if it is not organized under the banner of nationalism. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, the uh, the, 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 the thing of it is in terms of the uh, message that, that Brother Amos was articulating there, is that, you know, even if, say, someone never experienced, you know, sovereignty or freedom or whatever, if there is someone to instill the concept or the idea in their mind that, that, that you are a human being and you have a right to be free and to determine your own destiny. For example, the way Nat Turner's grandmother instilled those ideas in him mm -hmm. or the way... Uh, for example, Denmark Vesey knew about what had happened on the island of Haiti. Mm -hmm. So he knew that it was possible. He knew that it was possible for African people to liberate themselves, you know, by, 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 by taking up arms. And, uh, you know, particularly in, you know, an environment like Charleston, South Carolina in the 1820s, you know, where the black population, you know, was, was a majority of the of the people there. So, so if you have someone, see Garvey instilled idea, an idea in the minds, you know, it, it resonated in the heart. You know, we, 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 in, in, in ancient Kemet, they talked about the ear, the heart and the mind. And so, you know, it resonated, you know, in the heart and the mind. And so when you have that, but what, but, 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 but almost, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to rely on your, you know, experience here, your, your vast travels, it, it seems that the uh, Kwame Nkrumahs, the Patrice Lumumbas, the Ahmed Sekoutoures, Modibo Kieta, uh, you know, Winnie, Madisakila Mandela, Julius Nyeri, others, had lived directly under colonialism or apartheid and they had 
many of them had received uh, educations from Europeans, but they had also studied enough to understand their enough of their own history. And so they engaged in a struggle because, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, sort of like what, what we did when the contradictions in this society were a lot clearer. I mean, black and white, it was right in front of us. Um, but now, you, you know, Africa has the youngest population in the world. I, th- I think the average age on the African continent is about 19. But these young people have grown up not directly under the yoke of colonialism, but they have grown they have grown up under neocolonialism, people who have been put in place, like uh, Paul Biya of Cameroon, uh, just one example. Uh, these people have been put in place by the Europeans, and I think it's sometimes difficult for our people to to see how oppression operates when the person you see uh, as, a, as the leader in your country who's supposed to be doing things for you is a person who looks like, I mean, speak about that. I, I remember you telling me you was, you was in this class and, and talking to these students in Ghana and, you know, you were, you know, you were a bit surprised, I guess, maybe uh, taken aback by the, the, their lack of knowledge of ancient African history or, or things that had taken place before them. But, at the same time, I think you see some potential. So talk to us about that based on what you have seen firsthand based on all your travels. In Ghana, uh, the young brother said that, that, you know, when Prince Henry the Navigator came to came came here, that was his recollection of where his history started. And that's when a Portuguese uh, slave trader came down to the African continent. So there's no... Uh, history being taught even at early of an age of people that are right there in Africa and they have a history that they can even predate past that time period going back to the ancient Ghanaian Empire not even dealing with anything uh, prior to uh, the first century uh, the common era we're talking about 700 300 700 ad mm-hmm. that history is not even being taught right or at least it's not being taught i should say on a level to where it's common knowledge amongst the youth and right. that that is a part of that process that leans toward what you're saying about the experience and the education someone who may not physically have experience sovereignty power or freedom, but because you're also being in, in, taught from an enslaved mentality in regards to looking up to the European, then you really don't have any motivation to gain that power and sovereignty and freedom because you don't understand the point in time in history where your people have power with sovereignty and freedom. That's one of the biggest problems, uh, I would say, on the continent in regards to uh, the mentality. And it's the same thing here. And that's not everybody there. Uh, I mean, it's just like here you have pockets of us who aspire to achieve greater things in regards to 
liberation and empowerment of African people. You also have people on the continent as well. Um, so it's it's a it's it's a it's a similar situation in both areas. You have two areas geographically on the globe where people have been somewhat enslaved and colonized and controlled and oppressed and exploited and taught history and education that supports the white power structure. And this is what continues to get pushed. And then also on the continent, and this goes to what the, uh, the young brother said secondly, is I asked him, well, you know, what's your definition of success? And he said, getting, getting money. <laughs> he said, getting money is my definition, definition of success. So one of the biggest problems on the continent that I've seen is people get into politics for the money mm. in Africa. So it's easy for a foreign country to easily bribe an African leader or corrupt the African leader because in their case, they're becoming successful because they're getting money. Just like the leader from uh, the Congo, I can't remember his name, but they seized his accounts. I think it was in Italy. He had like maybe $14 million that they seized of his accounts and his Mm -hmm. money that was coming from corruption. Right. So if if, if the money is the motivation... And you're getting into the politics because those are important roles within the country. The most important roles within these African countries are political positions. It's not a capitalistic society in most cases like it is here where, you know, my avenue of getting money may be to start a business or not saying that you can't start a business that you can, but the rules and the laws in America make it so that anybody who plays the system and goes out there and gets lucky enough can possibly become a millionaire here versus there they're looking at it like where if I can get into politics and I can take on this position then I'll have power over my people and I can get money and if and if I do what the West wants me to do I can get even more money versus if I actually have a righteous energy about myself and I want to push for things that will help improve my country and liberate my country then I could possibly be killed so it takes somebody with a lot of courage to do the latter and that's when you have the John Magafulis that's when you have the Abi Amis that's when you have the African leaders who they want to see their country improve versus the leaders who want to continue to enrich themselves you'll see leaders who are living in a presidential palace and right across the street literally right across the street you have people living in extreme poverty i was in sudan right across the street from the presidential palace where you have rolls royces you have all these fancy cars you have this big humongous building or house that's probably got many rooms in it and then right across the street, you have people living in filth, litter, trash all over the ground. So this is their mentality is how can I enrich myself? And that is one of the things that has to be taught out of a people in order for them to 
strive to change that condition and it goes back to what i said earlier it goes back to our intelligence as a race we gotta raise our intelligence and lower our fear and if those two things go in those directions then it's ultimately going to lead to you fighting for your liberation yeah you know it seems it seems that that all that all over the african world the continent and the diaspora uh you know we have been seduced by the by the power of eurocentric individualism and materialism and you know we have countless examples of people like Denmark Vesey Denmark Vesey didn't you know Denmark Vesey as an individual could have lived a fine life you know Harriet Tubman she didn't have to she never had any great wealth you know uh, compared to you know say the, the money that Vesey had but she risked everything. Her individual freedom didn't mean anything. Denmark Visa's individual freedom didn't mean anything because they had an orientation. You know, just like, uh, you know, Patahotep says, you know, their face was turned towards their people. And so their individual freedom didn't mean anything because their people were, were, were enslaved. And, you know, you have, you have people you know like that who who are willing to sacrifice everything for the advancement of the people but the power the power the power of the european and dr amos wilson deals with this in blueprint for black power where he breaks down to various levels of power he talks about influence being one of the most effective levels of power and uh manipulation you know being more effective, you know, than force. Now they don't have, they don't have any problems using force, <laughs> you know. When they, <laughs> they have no problems using force, but they have more effective means, and, you know, with the, uh, when they are able to install these uh, leaders, you know, in the African world, whether whether it's a black politician, you know, like Obama in the U.S. or someone like uh, the Duvalier family on the island of Haiti or Mobutu uh, in, in, in the Congo. I mean, look, look, at, look at Angola. Now, these brothers and sisters fought a war. They fought a war to win their independence. They were even invaded by the white supremacists uh, from South Africa. They, their, their enemies uh, who were race traders like Jonas Avimbi were heavily supported by the United States and NATO. And, uh, you know, they got some, they got support from, uh, Dr. Castro Ruz, who, you know, sent a, a lot of brothers that, that, uh, that, you know, that they had trained in the revolutionary spirit over there to help them. And then what happens? Uh, the Dos Santos family, uh, become billionaires. And and the war the war veterans the people who actually fought the people who actually fought who took up arms and fought are living in poverty, and you got this you know one family that has become billionaires and I mean that's the you know this is what Dr. Clark used to always talk about the Europeanization of human consciousness 
the Europeanization of human consciousness. Heavy, heavy. Yeah, and you know, and and you know, and 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 Amos and and the other brothers, people who, Marimba and others who are talking about the need for a cultural revolution. Uh, you know, Sacred Touré, one of his greatest essays is called "Towards Full Reafricanization." Towards full reafricanization, and so you know that's that's what needs to take place. But these Europeans understand how how important it is to control the educational system. Come on, right? And they have people uh, attending, you know, these churches and and uh, and and mosques and and other things that are not operating in the interest of of, of African people. So it. it you know, it's a massive struggle, but, you know, we believe, as Garvey said, what African people have done, African people can do. So and to your point about the educational control, I read an article two weeks ago. And I think I sent it to you. It was talking about the 1619 project. Right. And it, it's a, a lady who came up with this uh, agenda to teach the start of American history from the start of slavery in schools from a different perspective of the way that American history is taught now with the land of the free and the home of the brave. And Donald Trump came out and basically said that we will cut federal funding to any school that teaches this agenda. Exactly. So that, that that's, that's proof in your point about the importance of controlling the education system because when you educate someone properly then when they grow up and go through our life the focus of that person is geared in a direction that stems from the level of their education or miseducation yeah and you know he he recently uh, he said uh, he just came out I think it was yesterday uh, with an attack on uh, on Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, and he said that uh, that generations of young young people have been uh, miseducated or indoctrinated, uh, you know, by uh, historians like like Howard Zinn, and we, <laughs> we say, yeah, we wish, but of course, you know, uh, so now so now what Trump people are funding something that was actually started by uh, some Negro conservatives, uh, Robert Woodson and others, called the 1776 Project. And it was designed to counter the 1619 Project. And see, this, this, this reminds me of how uh, the, the Europeans uh, hired people like Skip Gates uh, back during the 1990s when it became uh, apparent that all of the hard work that... Uh, Dr. Yosef ben Yakinen and Dr. John Henry Clark and others have been doing for years was finally beginning to bear some fruits as people began to grasp their teachings. And of course, they pointed us towards the Shake Out the Jop, African Origin of Civilization, John G. Jackson, Introduction to African Civilizations, Chancellor Williams, The Destruction of Black Civilization. Those scholars, that Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, Asa Hilliard, Jacob Rothers, and others, pointed us back towards those uh, scholars. And so we, we began to ha- develop a new understanding of our history that, 
you know, even someone like me who had, you know, been considered myself a, a person of African descent since 1970. You know, I attended the Congress of African Peoples. I was still a teenager, you know, talking, uh, walking among our brothers and sisters who were, you know, in organizations like uh, ZAPU and, 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 and ZANU and, and MPLA and Fulimo, you know, being able to sit down and talk to these brothers face to face and whatnot. But I, at that point, didn't know, didn't, didn't understand now Valley civilizations, you know. And the only book that I even knew about that had been written at that time was Du Bois, uh, uh, the the World in Africa. That was the only that was the only book that I even knew about. But I didn't. But I hadn't gra- I hadn't grasped it. Even David Walker understood in 1829. He had knowledge of this. But the the hard work that Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark and others had done began to bear fruit. And what did the Europeans do? They hired Skip Gates. Uh, and gave him a full page editorial in the New York Times to attack uh, the Afrocentric movement. That shows you how much fear they have of knowledge of truth, knowledge of self. And so what we see Trump doing with his attacks on the 1619 Project and on the uh, on Howard Zinn and others, we see that's the same thing. They have this great fear, this great fear that 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 once people have knowledge of self and knowledge of the truth, you know, you you, you, you just can't sit back and accept things the way they are. And so they always go on the offensive. And obviously there needs to be it's as strange as strange as this may sound. There needs to be an African centered education movement on the African continent. Would you agree with that, Brother Amos? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. I mean, most definitely. And, and you have brothers on the continent who are who are pushing that. Um, I mean, right there in Ghana, you got Dr. Kambon, uh, professor at Ghana University, who is uh, who is pushing you know African centered education to the people there. Uh, but it's something that has to be a mass movement, and it has to be something that is. Uh, that is mainstream but it is it is happening i mean you are seeing people in the internet world that are with their programs uh like dr mumbai Saraki and others who are pushing african centered agendas so it definitely is taking place uh but we definitely need it more especially amongst the common people on the ground because you speak to the common person on the ground in Africa the same way you talk to the common person here in the United States, and they are not focused on anything African centered. You go into your local barber shops here, into your local schools, into the local streets, the grocery stores. Most people are talking about Jesus and going to church, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing there. So, yeah, you know, this is something that we need, you know, worldwide. For the consciousness and the, and, and the cultural connection and the challenges of our people to rise back to the level of where it was when we had power, uh, uh, not only over ourselves but over over honestly the entire world. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. This has been the African Liberation Media. 
this has been quite informative join us again for next week's edition with brothers almost and macaroon bb48 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 power or the lack of power i want to repeat this power or the lack of power if your education in this institution is not about gaining real power not job because your jobs do not represent power not getting elected that does not represent power either you are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power if it is not about real power you are being miseducated and misled and you will die educated and misled if your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself then you will die feeling good the study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride those things are important but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world